You're listening to the maiden voyage of the Oompal.com podcast. Oompal.com is a great place to find interviews and other neat bits of interest for enthusiasts of fine pipes and tobacco. My name is Oli, and for the first Oompal podcast interview, we are at the Atlanta Pipe Club meeting here in the home of Joyce White, proprietor of Tobacco Supermarket, which can be found online at tobaccosupermarket.com. If you haven't been to tobaccosupermarket.com yet, the selection is mind-boggling. Check it out and bookmark that page. The following interview was recorded on January 17th, 2008. Enjoy. Tonight we have a very special treat. We have Bjarne Nielsen here with us. Thank you very much. Bjarne is, of course, a world-famous pipe carver and owner of Bjarne Pipes and hails from Denmark. Welcome, Mr. Nielsen. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and your fine pipes. How many hours have we got? <laughs> Okay, to start with, when I turned 20 or so, I bought a couple of hobby blocks from a Danish retail and uh, finished the pipes there. My friends said also they look great. I made a couple more and, and gave them to a couple of my friends. And uh, of course, you know, if you get it for free, then it has got to taste good and, and look good. So, um, for about 10 years, I made, I don't know, a total perhaps of a couple of hundred pipes. I was a student at that time, University of Copenhagen, and when I graduated with an MBA, I joined the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And my main job there, that was to assist Danish companies with any kind of export problems they had, or trying to help them selling their products in different countries. And that was from small companies to big companies, and product didn't matter, being food, being furniture, being clothes, being machinery, everything, we had to assist them. And at the same time, helping also foreign companies interested in a particular Danish product. And there back in uh, the 60s, there was a very high demand in this country for freehands. always claim that it happened every week, that's of course a lie, but it happened very often that we were contacted by an American company saying, please, please, can you put us in touch with the manufacturer freehands? And each time we had to tell them, sorry folks, but all the ones we haven't done, Mark, they have already connections in the U.S. And I have always had a dream of having my own company. I didn't know exactly in which field it should be. But um, one day I took two of the addresses, which actually belonged to Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I'm sure that Conti Rice, if she heard it, she would say, ah, you stole them. <laughs> no, I borrowed just the names and addresses and uh, sent the photos of some of my pipes to two companies in the U.S. They both returned straight away. And that was, of course, before internet and fax and all this stuff was even phone calls. It cost a fortune. So that was why regular surface mail or perhaps air mail, but at least by mail. And both of them, they were very enthusiastic and they asked me, how many can you supply? How fast? And by the way, what do you charge for them? So uh, I told them what I <coughs> thought I should have for the pipes and they said, oh yeah, please, 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 please. So in my spare time, uh, I was making pipes then for the US market. And of course we were talking about very, very small amounts of pipes. So uh, one day I said to my wife, you know what, I think I'll quit the foreign service and uh, start making pipes. 
What? You are crazy. In a few years' time, you will be ambassador somewhere. And uh, you know, at the end of each month, when you look at your bank account, there's a nice amount. And as a diplomat, you have all the advantages. You can park in the middle of Fifth Avenue in New York. Nobody can touch you. So she said, okay, try. If you succeed, perfect. If not, you can always go into private business. We knew that the doors to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs would be closed. Because it is damn difficult to get in, or at least it was. I'll admit it was not that easy. Uh, when the first month passed and I looked at my bank account, there was no money from the government, not a penny. Even though some say we have a socialist government, but they didn't pay me. It, it was a li little tough, the, the first uh, human. Well, the, the very first one, uh, and, and he ended up in the beginning as our sole importer. That was company, small company in Pompano Beach. The owner's name was, uh, I don't think he's alive anymore, George Newburn. And he was the one who came up with the name for the pipe. Because he said, uh, you should have an old Nordic name. So I went to Florida and I had a list of 20, 25 old Nordic names. And he went through the list and he was only about halfway through and said, no, 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 no good, no good, no. No, Bijan. George, it's a terrible name. Nobody can pronounce it correctly except the Dane. Yeah, that's an advantage. That's yeah. a big advantage. <laughs> then everybody remembers this, this special, peculiar name. So, uh, okay, he can take credit or should be blamed for whatever you prefer to call it. That uh, our pipes you have my first name. Some of you guys may know uh, or remember the name Prevenholm. And uh, Prevenholm was, at that time, the number one manufactured freehand pipes in uh, the world. And especially uh, the U.S., where I, I think that at least most of his production, if not his whole production, went to the U.S. But uh, he had one big problem, and that was he was drinking far, far too much. And he passed away when he was, I believe, 46 years old, yes, due to too much alcohol. So he was not that easy to work with or work for. And uh, one day I ran into one of his pipe makers and uh, I asked him how he was doing. Terrible. He said, he's always drunk and he's, I hate to work there. I said, well, why don't you come and work for me? He said, okay, but uh, only if Eric can come as well. That was his best buddy at Britain Hall. So I said, sure. That was my big luck. Because those guys, they knew exactly what the American market wanted. They were damn fast, and they could teach me at the same time. So that was my luck. And then a bad run into a company in Gainesville, Florida. And I appointed them as a sole importer for the U.S. And it went okay for almost three years. And uh, then one year... The check which he had promised he had mailed did not show up. I phoned him. Oh, it is in the mail. It's in the mail. I said, well, it doesn't take a month to go to Denmark. Oh, I will, I will make stop on it and I'll mail you a new one. And, uh, but I need pipes. And, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up now, so I, I really need them badly. And stupid enough, I shipped what we had. And the check never showed up. And, of course, the last shipment. Same thing happened. So that not only hurt us 
very, very badly. But at that time, we had only the U.S. and Canada as our markets. And uh, point one, we had no customer. Point two, oh. no money. And what he owed us, we never received. So it almost killed us, of business. And then I can jump five, six years, then I made the same mistake. Perhaps I should not mention the name because this gentleman is still alive. But the same thing happened. So since then, I said, never, ever again, even if General Motors would come to me, that was when General Motors was the number one company in the world. <laughs> said, Thank you very much, but no thanks. Now we want to do it on our own, with our own reps. And if we lose the rep, okay, we can find a new one. It will not hurt us that much. How many folks do you have working for you right now? We have uh, seven pipe makers today. Do they all work in the same facility? With the exception of two, yes. Do you yourself get to carve much anymore? Well, I do, but, but not nothing to be proud of. Not, not enough. I travel too much. Do you have any of those old pipes around that you carved a long time ago? No, unfortunately not. I was so stupid. I, I, I should have kept some. Uh, let me tell you a funny story about keeping pipes and having pipes. Uh, my wife had one very bad habit when we just started out. Each time she saw a very nice, or in her opinion, a very nice pipe, she said, no, this one is too nice, we will keep it. So before I realized it, she had a bigger collection than, than, than I had. And then we had a pipe show in, in Copenhagen, and um, she took some of her pipes, as she called them. Now they're not our pipes or my pipes, they were her pipes. <laughs> uh, brought them with him, but put a small sign on uh, saying, for display purposes only, not for sale. And then a gentleman from Sweden came, and of course he couldn't read the Danish. So he said, oh, boy, nice pipe. Well, what is the price? Well, the boy said, but you see, this one belongs to my wife. And uh, it actually says uh, it's not for sale, it's only for display purposes. Uh, where's your wife? I said, maybe I don't know. She went over to her. And to make a long story short, she said to him, okay, you can take the pipe with it. You are not allowed to sell it. You can display it in your store, but you must put a sign on saying for display purposes all, all not for sale. Then about six months, nine months perhaps later, he phoned one day, the Swedish gentleman, and said, Jana, I have a problem. Why? What, what, what's wrong? Well, I said, I have a gentleman here who wants to buy my store. I said, well, why is that my problem? Well, it's due to your pipe or Ivan's pipe. I said, well, what do you mean? Said, well, I had displayed the pipe like I promised your wife in the window. I have put a sign on in Sweden saying for display purposes only, not for sale. And then this gentleman from the United Arab Emirates <laughs> saw the pipe and he came into the store and asked for the price. And we had to explain to him that uh, that he could not buy it. <laughs> so what did he do? He took his checkbook out and he signed the check. And now he wants me to put a, an amount down for the whole store. <laughs> So I said to him, okay, you have my permission. Sell the pipe to him for whatever you can get and send us a check for half of it. And he said, okay, I'll do that. When the check showed up, I almost got a shock. It is impossible. You cannot get, now we're talking uh, around 1980, something like that. Late, late 70s. And at that time, I tell you, $800, that was for me a lot of money. And I had not told my wife about it. So when the check, check 
filled up. I gave it to her and said, it's yours. She said, why? Then I told her what had happened. First, she was furious. <laughs> you, got, you got 800 bucks for it. Yeah, but still, I, I love this pipe. And said, okay, <laughs> today she has forgiven me. <laughs> about how many pipes does your company make now? Well, we make about 800 a month. Seven, seven carvers, 800 a Yes, yes. What is your biggest market right now? It is, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I really mean it, unfortunately, the, the U.S. And the reason I say unfortunately is, of course, the rate of exchange. Oh, China is the future also when we talk about it. It is unbelievable what is... Well, I say it started in Eastern Europe. When uh, the wall went down, these Europeans... The first country they visited or had possibility to visit was, was a neighboring country, that was Germany. So from Poland, from the Czech Republic, etc., Hungary, they came to Germany and Austria, and they saw something called the pipe. And except in the Czech Republic, where they, they did have some pipe production, they didn't know what a pipe was. And in Germany, as you may know, they smoke with a filter. So they were told, well, you need a filter also. Well, what is a filter? Well, was explained to them. So then they bought filter. So that is the reason that today Eastern Europe is also a filter country, even though they, I normally say filter is only where Germany is spoken. And that's not the case in Eastern Europe, but nevertheless, they have it. And then Russia, as you know, you know oil, more than $100 a barrel. And Russia, they are profiting from it. We all hear about the Middle East. And it's true, they make a hell of a lot of money also. But it's Russia. It really is making the money. Those are the natural gas for Western Europe plus the oil. So in Russia today, they have money. The more expensive a pipe is, the better it is, according to Russia. So uh, it's for a damn good market. And the same thing is happening in, in China, mainland China. Hong Kong and Taiwan has always been good markets. But, I mean, Taiwan, 23 million people, what is that? Hong Kong, 5, 6 million, what is that? 1.3 billion mainland China. I know that the bulk of them, they are poor peasants, but they have between 150 to 200 million today with our standard of living. And this portion is growing fast. If you go to Beijing or Shanghai or any of the major cities today and come back a year later, the same area, you cannot recognize. You just cannot recognize. And when you see it there, they have the same highways ways as you, except they are new. They have the same high-rise buildings, being hotels, office buildings, shopping centers, like you see here. The only thing is that people look a little different. But otherwise, the whole east coast of, of China, it's same. And also there, they believe the more expensive or the most expensive pipe must be the best. Let me tell you a true story, which I saw in the, in the restaurant in the Beijing. I saw two young guys come in with two kids, and uh, when I saw they ordered, uh, or the waiter came with two bottles of wine, it looked to me like it was one called Petrus, which is <laughs> a Petrus. damn, yes, damn, damn expensive one. Yeah. But I was not certain, so I asked the waiter if I could look at the, the wine list, and he came with it to me. Yes, it was. And then about 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, he came with two Cokes. And then they poured the Cokes into the wine. Oh, oh my God. God. So 
and again, I'm sure that these two guys, they, of course, they had plenty of money. Money was not something you talked about, just something you had. And they looked at the wine list and said, okay, this one is the most expensive. Again, it must be the best, period. Two bottles. And then they didn't like them, so then they added the Coke. Unfortunately, you can't hear the next question by Rick's Carson. But what he's asking is, as he's looking around at the pipes of Bjarne's, um, they definitely seem to have a certain style. So his question to Bjarne was, is that a conscious decision um, by him to make a certain look of pipe for the company? Well, I, I, I would start another way. I'll say, to me, it's very easy to see if a pipe is Italian, German, French, English, or Danish. There is something which I would call a Danish style, just like you have in our roses, which claim is an Italian style. So I think there's more a Danish style to it than it is to each particular pipe maker. In most cases, when I see a pipe, high-grade pipe, I can normally see if it's a Danish one, at least, who has made it, without turning it around and see what has been stamped on it. Some German pipes remind me of Danish pipes. But well, in Germany, you have one problem, uh, and that is 9 out of 10 German pipes, they are made for filter. And if it has to take a 9 millimeter filter, the shank must be fairly thick. Yeah. And if that's thick, then the bowl must be correspondingly big. Mm. How many pipes do you have in your personal collection? Well, I probably have around 100 pipes, of which I only smoke on a regular basis, uh, 20, 30 of them. Uh, the rest, and it's a combination. It's some of my own pipes and uh, from various sources. It happens very often at trade shows that a colleague, or whatever we should call him, someone call him a competitor, comes and says, oh, that's a nice pipe you've got there. I, I'll take this one, come to my booth and, and take a pipe. So uh, that's just the way I've got most of my... What's your favorite pipe that you're smoking right now? Well, this one here is the full pen pipe, and this has a special story also. As you can see, the shank is black. It is ebony. I made such a pipe, and I sold it in Homewood, Alabama. Mr. Skip Elliott, are you listening? To one of his good customers, a doctor from Egypt. And uh, he paid a small fortune for it, and uh, two months later we got it back because the whole little piece here was cracked. We could not understand it. We made a new one for him. Same thing happened. And I say, it cannot be true. So we sent him a check instead uh, because we could not figure out what the problem was. And then I said, okay, now we are making a third one because I want to experience what he has done to it or what happened to his pipes. And after 10 years, nothing has happened. So what he did, I don't know. So since then, it is my favorite pipe, and I always bring it, especially when I go to Homewood, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that one day the doctor will show up again. Do you ever make that same style? As a matter of fact, I have made one for a good friend of you all, or y'all, I should <laughs> say. Paul has got one. And as a matter of fact, he told me he was smoking it today. So well, we do take special orders. How about tobacco? What's your favorite tobacco right now? Well, it is 
won our own very good blend called the gentle one now. We used to call it the mild one. But the bureaucrats in Brussels, they don't like words like mild. You're not allowed to use that when you talk about food or tobacco products. Just like there's nothing called a Diet Coke in, in Europe. Really? No, 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 no. It's, it's not allowed either. So we had to change the name from the mild one to the gentle one. But it's still the same good tobacco. And that's one of your favorites? It is my favorite, number one, yeah. And it's one you can smoke 24 hours a day. It's uh, three types of Virginia, Burley, and Black Cavendish. A lot of you guys hear about Briar. Right. It has to be from Corsica, because yeah. that is really the Briar. The fact is that there is no Briar left from Corsica. So all, I'm not saying you cannot find bush there, but in quantities there is no briar coming from Corsica, period. On the other hand, I don't, even if it was possible, I don't believe that briar from Corsica is better than from any of the other Mediterranean countries. What is important, that is how it is treated. As they know, the ones who cut the roots, what they are doing, and you can still get decent briar out of it. And if you're a good pipe maker, you will also get out. But if it's coming from Greece, Italy, France, or now recently Morocco and especially Algeria, in my opinion, doesn't make any difference. And especially with EU, you don't know either if it's you buy it in Italy, yes, but does that mean it's from Italy? No. Um, when we're talking about 100 years old, why should that be better than being 50 years old? I, I cannot see any reason for that. And the farmers who dig up the roots, they're not stupid. They will not take them with 20 years old because they, there's, there's nothing below the surface of, of the, the ground. Uh, and they can see on the bush if it is not 49 or 50 or 51 years old, but they can see if it's big enough so the root has developed into something worthwhile digging up. And then they do it. How would you describe the state of Briar these days? There is no, uh, no, no, no problems. But the, the, the problems which we see, they have started, and it's getting worse and worse. That is in Greece and Italy. Because the old farmers, they have been used to going out. You have to remember that briar grows in the wild. So that could be half a mile or quarter mile between each bush they see. And they walk around out in the mountains, and they dig them up, and it's damn hard work to do that. And then you take it on your back out to a small road where you come in with a tractor and take them down to the sawmill. The old farmers, they have done that for decades. So they use it, but they are getting too old now. They pass it away. And their sons, where are they? They are in the cities. Or if they live on the farm, they don't want to do it because it's too damn hard work. So it's not because there's a lack of briar from, from Greece and Italy, but it's simply getting the farmers to go out there and uh, dig them up. So that is, in my opinion, the main reason that I believe that Algeria and Morocco, they will be the two main, two main suppliers in the future. As Algeria has always supplied, when I say always, going back to the early 50s and, and earlier, they supplied plenty of briar. But as you may remember, uh, it was a French colony, and when... Uh, they finally got their independence after war with, with France for, for several years. 
the, the French citizens uh, who lived in Algeria, they either fled or they were thrown out, and all the expertise uh, in the brand business disappeared at the same time because the Muslims, they have no pipe tradition to them. A pipe is a water pipe. That's what, what, what they know. So the brand has only been growing since uh, the mid-50s, and nothing has happened to it until a few years ago that finally the government realized that perhaps there was a small gold mine there. They invited then some French experts back. So now they have started again slowly uh, to supply briar. And they have plenty of it. Plus, uh, one, one more thing. Um, the unemployment rate is officially around 25%, but in reality, it's probably close to 50. So it's not a problem finding people to go out and dig the roots up. And everybody can do that. Okay, Rix Carson just asked the question, would it be possible to cultivate briar? Well, as far as I have been, I don't know if it's correct, but I was, have read or been told that uh, in France they passed a law in the early 50s saying that when they took one bush or one root up in the island of Corsica, they had to plant three. And they claim they did that, but it did not grow. It will only grow where it wants to grow. It's, it's peculiar that you cannot grow it commercially because then you'll be easy to say, okay, after 50 years, we take the whole field. And then you can develop some kind of machinery to take them up because then you will not go out in the mountains doing it. Then you'll do it on flat surface. Now, I think the biggest problem for pipe smokers, that is not getting briar. That is uh, the government around mm -hmm. the world. Rick's just asked the question, are there any American carvers that um, you're very fond of? Absolutely. I think you have, especially the, the last five, ten years, you've got quite a number of extremely good carvers. Extremely good. They make nice products. Most of them, they do it as, as a hobby. Uh, but, but some of them, they, they have made uh, or are making a living uh, of uh, making pipes with hand-cut mouthpieces. They, they, and they make nice pipes, absolutely. Some, they have what I would call a Japanese influence. And, and some, both of them, they have a... Danish touch to it. Yeah. Especially if you go to Chicago for the Chicagoland show, there you will see the, all the ones making 10 pipes a year to the ones making 100, 150, 200 pipes. Um, and some of them are damn good. Yeah. One more thing about briar. We use only plateau briar, mm. which is, generally speaking, of the, the, the regular grades of briar. There are 32 classifications or gradings of briar. But it, it's a combination of uh, each block or each grading is determined first of all by size. So minimum width, height and length for each block. Uh, and then if it's plateau briar or what is mainly used for uh, machine made pipes. And plateau briar of course is the other part of uh, the, the root. Someone just asked the question, is there any other wood acceptable for making pipes? Not that, that I know of. Uh, the Italians, they have a habit every 10 years they come up with pipes of olive wood. They have always burned through, and every 10 years they come out and say, now we have found a way to, so it won't happen. Okay, Joyce just asked about ironwood. But then, if you haven't got uh, the, the grain, uh, and, and there's, no. And, and, and for most pipe smokers, that is very important. Yes, great grain and coarse grain. Perhaps some of you heard the story about Stanwell when they started out. 
1943, which of course was during the middle of World War II. And as you also may know, Denmark was occupied by Germany, so of course we couldn't get any briar. So it was the most stupid time of the one could think about starting a pipe production, because no briar. We couldn't get any tobacco either. We were growing tobacco in Denmark at that time. I never smoked it, <laughs> but after what I've been told, it was terrible. So, but nevertheless, uh, Paul Stanwell, or at that time his name was Paul Middleson, started his factory in 1943. But he made one model, Bulldog, and a Beechwood. And of course they burned through. And that was perfect, because he could get producing. <laughs> But until, at that time, it was not called Stanwell, it was called Ewing a Pipefabrik. And after, when World War II was over, and uh, Briar was allowed being imported again in the late 40s, and uh, pipes were also allowed in, at that time, in Denmark, a pipe had to be an English pipe, period. That was the only thing you could smoke. 3B was the number one brand at that time. So, Ewing a Pipefabrik, even though they could also get briar now and started making briar pipes, could not sell their pipes in Denmark because a Dane would not buy from Ewing a Pipefabrik. And then the story goes that Paul Nilsson went to, to England trying to sell his pipes. And uh, right outside Heathrow Airport, there's a small village called Stanwell. And he saw the, the name Stanwell there. And then he changed the name. And he one more story, also to include Stanwell. Hal Wilson, who was Prime Minister of England back in late 50s or early 60s, whatever, about that time, uh, he was a dedicated pipe smoker. And he was an official visit to Denmark, and he had forgotten his pipes. So when he landed at Copenhagen Airport, he asked, is there a pipe shop here? Uh, oh, good, because I need a couple of pipes. So he went into the store, and he looked at all the pipes they had, Oh, I'm so glad to see some nice English pipes here. I'll take a couple of Stanwells. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bill Dover Spike just asked a tricky question from the audience. Are handmade pipes better than machine-made pipes? No, I cannot say they are. Generally speaking, they are. The workmanship is better when we talk in general terms. But there are a couple of of machine-made brands, which I consider being uh, absolutely just as good as handmade pipes. In, in my uh, book, 95% of all pipes in this world are machine-made. <coughs> all the major brands, Dunhill, Peterson, Stanwell, Bacchokan, Savinelli, Trapia, Faun, DB, Berlin, whatever uh, they are called, they are all machine-made pipes. Excellent pipes in most cases, but all machine um, of the last 5% pipes in this world, about 4.5%, they are handmade, one of a kind, but the machine made mouthpiece. The last 0.5%, they are not only handmade, one of a kind, but also with hand cut mouthpiece. Okay, someone from the group just asked uh, what makes a machine made pipe? I might point out here, too. Um, Bjarne pipes are handmade pipes. The newest models, they make 10 or I believe even it's 12 
bowls every three to five minutes, depending on the, the size of the bowl. And they are all exactly the same. Of course, the wood quality is different, uh, but it will be the same shape. A colleague of mine, I will not mention his name because he's not in the business anymore, but uh, the company is, is, when I complained to him, he said, well, why do we stamp them handmade? They are not handmade, they are machine made. Oh no, he said, we have a lady sitting there putting each pipe into a pouch and it's done by hand. <laughs> but, okay, uh, when the pipes are coming out of the phrasing machine, yes, there's a lot of handwork because they are polished, they are stained, uh, and that is handwork. And you will see in all these factories, you will see quite a number of ladies sitting doing this uh, work, but that they haven't got pipe makers. Uh, right. they, they, they cannot make, in most cases, an individual pipe for you. For years, we refused, not refused, that's the wrong word, but we said, thank you very much, but no thanks to making catalog pipes, because we were too afraid that we would have too many problems with them. But uh, then we realized that if we could guarantee that they were well, in the beginning we said 90% alike, then we increased it to 95% alike, then customers would not object. Because if you look in the catalog and you see a particular shape there and you order one by phone or today by email, then when you receive the pipe, you cannot see when you compare to the photo that it's not exactly the same. But in most cases, it's not to full scale anyway. So you cannot see if the ball is a little bit taller or the shank is a little longer. Uh, as long as it's the, the same basic shape. So, so far it has never happened that we have had one pipe returned because it did not look like the, the one in the catalog or the brochure. For uh, both machine-made pipes and the, well, the whole Bjarne range of pipes, they are all machine-made mouthpieces. Originally, when we received them from the factories, they are, of course, all straight, and so is any what Stanwood receives or Stanwood receives, etc. They are all straight, so you have to polish them, you have to bend them if it's a bent pipe. But when we're talking about with the hand-cut mouthpieces, then they're made out of solid material. And that is another ball game, completely different ball game. It takes longer to make the mouthpiece than it takes to make the ball. So when you hear that a pipe maker says, I'm making 200, 250 pipes a year, believe him, if, if with, with all with hand-cut mouthpieces. But he cannot make more than one a day on average. Okay, the next question from the group is from Ricks, and he asks, is there any Perique in any of the Bjarne tobacco? It is so difficult to get, and as you probably know, there has been, you're right, it's only one parish, or right. one county, as we would call it here, um, and uh, there's been problems with making it, and uh, understand the new owners now, so hopefully they will keep making it. But, but I have no personal experience uh, with it at all. Okay, next question from the group comes from Bill Dover Spike, who says, um, you know, freehands and um, Danish styles seem pretty synonymous to me. Is that true? Did you guys invent uh, this kind of style, or, or how does that work? They are, uh, after World War II, we had three pipe makers in Denmark, who today can take credit for the Danish pipes are so well known uh, worldwide. Well, first of all, I say in Denmark there was a tradition until about 10 years, 15 years ago, where pipe tobacco was very, very inexpensive, especially compared to cigarettes. When I was growing up, it was not because I liked it, smoking a pipe. 
I could not afford cigarettes, period. And neither could my, my friends. So we, we smoked pipes because it was much, much, cost much, much less money. And that was uh, the case until about 15 years ago. And then thanks or due to EU, we had to harmonize, as they call it. So, <laughs> so today, uh, pipe tobacco is, well, it is still the most inexpensive way to, to enjoy tobacco. But uh, it, it costs much, much more today. <clears throat> but so they, in Denmark, there's always been a tradition of being a pipe smoker. Not like in the other Scandinavian countries or Nordic countries, where pipe smoking is hardly known even today. But after World War uh, II, uh, we had three pipe makers in Denmark. Paul Rasmussen, uh, who passed away, he was the first in Denmark who got the uh, not a heart transplant, but uh, heart uh, veil, valve, 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 yes. Yeah. And uh, but he lived only a couple of years after he got that, and died when he was in his forties. But a fantastic uh, pipe maker. And then, of course, we had uh, Sixten Iversen, and uh, we had Kronovich. and uh, these three guys uh, were fantastic. And they were the ones who started out with freehand pipes also. And thanks to them, uh, all the pipe makers you know in Denmark today, including the sons of, of a few of these guys, um, Lars Iverson, or Sixten's son, and uh, Jess Kronovich, uh, and also uh, the first famous lady pipe maker in Julia. She was married to Paul Rasmussen. And uh, let me tell you a true story about, or I believe it's a true story about Aunt Julia. Uh, she was uh, 22, 23 years old when her husband uh, died. And she had a baby, and she had never in her life made a pipe. But of course, in her husband's workshop, there were some finished pipes and some half-finished pipes. And uh, she had a couple of pipe makers helping her uh, to make all or finish all these pipes. And then she found out she wanted to sell them in the U.S. And of course, and Julia didn't have a penny, so she borrowed money from some friends. And she got enough for tickets to New York, and she went to New York and went into some pipe shops and tried to sell the pipes. No luck whatsoever. Absolutely no luck. Then uh, <coughs> two guys after work, they were sitting out on the porch somewhere in New York, enjoying a beer and talking about what had happened during the day, and then uh, one of them was a tobacconist. And he said, oh, by the way, I had a female pipe maker in my store today. She wanted to sell me some pipes. Oh, female? Yes. Did you buy some from her? No, 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 I didn't like the pipes. The other guy, he was a TV producer. And at that time, you had a show uh, in the US, I believe it was called What Is My Line? Just <laughs> My Line. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it, great. Where, where does she live? I don't know. Well, in Denmark. Yes. But I mean, she's in New York right now, right? Yes. Which, which hotel does she live in? I don't know. So the next day, he asked his secretary, phone all hotels in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, that's and, until, you, until you find out. Uh, what it, they did find her. And uh, she did go on the show. And they did not guess what her profession was. And I believe, if I remember that correctly, uh, if they did not guess it, he received, uh, I believe it was $10,000 at that time. 
So suddenly, overnight, she was world famous in the U.S. Well, she had and, and yes, and now she could sell her pipes. Oh my God! <laughs> At least that is and Julia's version of it. I, I I believe it it is correct. Okay, here someone in the group says, uh, "Wasn't she also a painter? Wasn't she also an artist?" Well, no, that that came much much later on. She found out that well, her eyesight was not as good uh, anymore. So that was one reason, but also that she could get more money for her paintings than she could for her pipes. <laughs> Plus, she ran, had personal problems with, with two husbands who passed away. One was very ill for many, many, many years. Uh, he suffered, I think, Parkinson or well, something like that, at least. And she had him at home. She didn't want to send him to a nursing home. Uh, so she, she had really had, had a personal tough time. Her house burned down once, and uh, she had problems with the insurance company. Well, there, there, there were many problems. But today she's uh, living very well. She's in her mid-60s, living on a small island in Denmark, where she was born, the island of Lesu. And uh, she's always smiling, and uh, everything is always great. doesn't matter what happens to her. Okay, Ted just posed a question to Bjarne. Um, what about 360 degree angel hair fine straight grain briar? Does it still exist? If so, how often do you see something like that? Yes, but only by luck if you find. And, and you, you cannot see, when you look at a briar block, it, from the outside, it can look fantastic on all sides. Say, oh, great, great, great. But when you get into it, it may be can be a disaster, so there there is no guarantee. So we always say it's by luck when we run into such a piece. Our two major trade shows, which are the RCDA and uh, the Interfabrik in Dortmund in Germany, uh, we bring between. Well, I never had less in the, the last few years. Never less than two, never more than five. So on a yearly basis, let's say from five to ten as maximum. But 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 out wow. of ten thousand, and it's just yeah. luck to find that. It is, it is pure luck. Wow. Okay, that was Paul that asked the next question from the group, which was, "What does Bjarne do on his off time? What does he do for fun? What does he do when he's just hanging out?" Well, believe me or not, but my work is my hobby. I enjoy the business so much, but of course it does happen that I am watching if. I can watch a good soccer match. Then <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy that very much. A good glass or not to say a bottle of red wine. Okay, we've heard a lot of different stories from Bjarne tonight, and uh, a lot of them have something to do with his wife. So he is um, quite obviously, um, his wife is very near and dear to him. So at some point someone asked from the group, um, how long have you been married? Since the 15th of June, 1963. So uh, we're now so 44 years. Oh, wow. And my wife and I, we met when in high school when we were 15. And we have been together ever since. And we intend to be together for the rest of our days. Okay, that officially rounds out our Q&A with Bjarne. Thank you so much, Mr. Nielsen. It has been a real pleasure to sit here and talk with one of the greats. And thank you so much. And, uh, we really, really appreciate it.
thank you very much for having me here. I've enjoyed it as usual. Thank you. Yes. That was an interview with Bjarne Nielsen, recorded for umpal.com on January 17, 2008, during the January meeting of the Atlanta Pipe Club, which was held at the home of Joyce White, proprietor of Tobacco Supermarket, which can be found online at tobaccosupermarket.com. You can find more interviews of persons of interest in the pipe world at umpal.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Oli. Let's do this again soon. Until then, grab your favorite Bjarne hand-carved pipe and enjoy it while you consider which beautiful Bjarne pipe will be next in your collection.